Welcome to the Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories podcast. I'm your host, Guy Massey. Today, beef stew and future, present, and past. I love beef stew. And guess what, folks? I made it today. I made it. It's cooking right now. I just finished cleaning the last spoon and utensil involved. The cutting board is all clean and drying on the on the sink rack against the backsplash. The satisfied feeling of making beef stew. I started with a chuck roast, beautiful well-marbled chuck roast that I purchased at Stop and Shop. Got to give them credit. Nature's Promise, naturally raised beef. Beautiful marbling, beautiful side fat. Not too much silver skin. Um, I also had my spices on board. I had my, um, I had my, I kept it simple. I kept it simple. I had basil, I uh, had a, uh, a Mexican spice mix that I didn't use too much of. I don't want to make it a Mexican stew. Um, I had, of course, uh, I had the garlic powder, but I used fresh garlic this time. I crushed the garlic. When you make, when you uh, prepare with garlic, just crush, uh, peel off the, the skin, of course, and get a, get a wide knife. Get a wide, uh, you know, kind of a butcher knife or such a such an implement uh, with a, you know about an inch and a half blade. Put it down on the, on the uh, garlic, crush that puppy down flat. I use three cloves, I believe. Um, sea salt and ground pepper. Um, I mentioned the basil. That's pretty much my spice lineup. Adobo. I had some adobo. I like adobo. And Goya makes it. You can get it in your grocer aisle and the Goya aisle. Most grocers have a separate Goya aisle. Um, it's part of maybe midway down. You'll find all the Goya can products and box products, the rices, and the spices and uh, herbs, dried herbs. And I got adobo. It's a very all-purpose kind of spice um, or seasoning. I'm going to call that a seasoning. I'm going to call the uh, Mexican uh, red paprika-looking seasoning. I also use paprika. Don't forget paprika. Gives a little bit of a bite. You need that a little bit. Add some character in a subtle kind of way, in an unassuming way. (laughs) I'd mentioned the chuck, ground chuck. Not ground chuck, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Don't want to steer you wrong, folks. Not ground chuck. You're going to make something else entirely different. I don't know what it would be. Uh, it wouldn't be a stew. Um, it's a, a hunk of ground, a hunk of chuck with the marbling. And it's about a pound and a half, $16 worth, maybe two pounds actually. And the other ingredients, of course, are onion, shallot. I use more onions than I did shallot. I just use one shallot, one thin, kind of inch thick shallot. 
I'm so excited. It's cooking. It's simmering now. It's going to take about three hours to fully cook, to get it to where I want it, to get it to, the flavors meld all together and beautiful. Just a, a work of art. Um, if I do say so myself. Uh, carrot. And don't be afraid to dice them kind of on the heavy side. You know, an inch long on the carrots if they're about an inch in diameter. Don't be afraid to put them in chunky. I like a chunky stew. Uh, I like a dice stew too sometimes. A fine stew. A more refined chef's stew, let's say. But this is a chunky New England, Rhode Island stew. Low maintenance stew that my mom would have made. My mom would have made it with a little less ingredients. My mom kept it pretty simple for herself. She had six kids to bring up, crying out loud. Eight of us in the whole family, including my mom and dad. So she had to make it quick and make it good and easy, but it was delicious. My mom's stews were the best, the best. You don't need all the fancy ingredients that I'm mentioning now. You could put more ingredients in that I'm not mentioning. Allspice is popular, expensive. I found out how expensive a small little jar is $5.29, stop and chop. Not on sale either. You're not going to catch that on sale. You're not going to get a yellow tag on that puppy. You're going to pay full price, $5.29 for a really small little half-size uh, small jar. Smaller than half the size of your garlic, uh, your small-size garlic powder. Didn't use garlic powder. I used real garlic, as I said. And what else am I forgetting? Oh, potatoes, meat and potatoes, it's a component. It's a much needed component. If you don't have stew without potatoes, and I'm sorry I'm mentioning them last, but maybe I saved the best for last, because meat and potatoes is a great marriage, great marriage. It's Western, it's all American. I'm all about the Old West. Maybe I'll call this the Old West Beef Stew. How's that? It's, uh, it's chunky, I cut the pieces. I didn't spend too much time cutting. I cut them in about inch and a half to two inch square pieces, generally, and they varied. Some of them were as small as an inch square, but generally it all melds out and adds texture to the stew, adds a visual appeal that can't be beat. So there's nothing as beautiful as, this, as a beef stew cooking on the stove in full anticipation. Almost beats eating it and eating itself, but I think I'm going to enjoy it when my mash comes on. Between programs, it should be ready at around 7.30, right when the second mash starts. And I'm going to be welcoming in with that title song coming on uh, with Alan Alda and company. And I'm going to enjoy my beef stew. I invited my sister Janet, sister-in-law Janet and brother Pierre over tomorrow night to have a second helping of the stew because I'm going to have some tonight, no doubt about it. I'm not going to not have my stew that I just labored over, but when I say labored over, it was a little involved. It took about a good solid half an hour, maybe 40 minutes to prepare, but well worth it, folks, well worth it. So if you ever want to do stew, and then of course you, you when you take your beef, you, you uh, take it, and uh, if it's a two-pound piece, and you've cut it into your, your many pieces, about 30 or so pieces, you put in, um, you put in only, let's say, ten pieces at a time, and brown them in olive oil, in olive oil, beautiful olive oil, and get them nice and browned all around. You can have some little bit of red showing. That's okay. 
then transfer them to a pan. It can be a smaller pan. It'll just accommodate the beef that you're gonna put in. Then take the next batch of 10 pieces and brown those. Repeat the process. It takes about three to five minutes to fully brown on, on medium high heat. Don't be afraid to get your heat up high. Don't think you're gonna burn the olive oil. It has a little bit of latitude with the beef in it. The beef, the mass of the beef lowers the overall temperature of the pan. So you're not gonna get in trouble. Uh, if you wanna do it a little lower, but remember, if the lower you go, the less browning you're gonna have. You wanna sear the meat and the juices in the meat. Then I take my carrots and cut them up. They're the hardest vegetable followed by the potato, cut them all up. I got about five good-sized carrots in there, got about five good-sized potatoes, cut in quarter pieces to sixth or one-eighth pieces. Uh, the carrots and your potatoes are gonna hold up a little bit better. Uh, then I cut the shallots and the onion, get those in the pan, and the celery. Put the celery in. I forgot to mention celery. Very, very good, good uh, green component to this. To the uh, adds a little bit of color, texture, taste, color, texture, and taste to the dish. And it is a dish. It's a proper dish. Beef stew is all American. It's Yankee as Yankee can be. It's your Yankee pot roast without going in the oven. I did it all the stovetop method. And all those vegetables came up pretty high in the pan. I thought I was going to run out of room in the pan. Got a full-size stock pan. Not a, not a full-size stock pot, but a large pan. A large pan with two handles on each side. You know what I'm talking about with the glass cover. Came up about three-quarters of the way, and I realized I had to add the meat in. and was worried that it was going to go overboard. But it didn't. The meat stayed under. And then I took the beef stock. I got an aseptic package of organic beef stock from Stop and Shop, Nature's Promise brand. And I poured that in. I thought I was going to need to add water. No, not necessary. Not necessary to add any water. The beef stock contained it all. And it's going to make for a really rich, dark beef stew. I'm looking forward to it, folks. I'm looking forward to my all-American New England, Rhode Island, Pawtucket beef stew. Sparkles Brannigan. And I got a great idea. How about you try my Brannigan X cigars? They're available at fine tobacconists worldwide, just about. Well, we're not in Asia yet. We're not in Russia yet. We're working on it. Featuring this month the Churchill. Our Churchill. A beautiful looking cigar. It's long, it's it's golden, it's got the beautiful Connecticut wrapper, Honduran filler, full leaf of course, goes without saying. Even in your cheaper cigars you got full leaf, but ours is a quality full leaf, that's the difference. That's the difference here. God told me about his beef stew and how he's so proud of it. Very proud, he hasn't even eaten it yet. <laughs> 
as we speak on this podcast. He's going to bring some in into the studio. We're going to enjoy some. Tomorrow he's going to cook and bring it into the dining room in his house, which is where his studio is, of course. But in the next room over is the dining room. You know about the dining room light. That always has to differentiate with nature's light coming in in the early, early morning hours, the, the ungodly hours that guy gets up. Amazing. Well, I, I don't sleep in, but I get up at the regular 8 o'clock bell. Well, my Brannigan X is a great smoke. I'm having it right now. Listen to this. I inhale. Sorry to say. And I'm glad to say. In the same, in the same stroke. It's a satisfying not dry, it's got a little bit of moistness, but it's just right balance. It's got a sweetness, but yet it's nutty. That's the main component of my Brannigan X cigars. They're all very consistent, all with the same taste. You know what you're getting when you get a Brannigan X quality cigar at your favorite retailer, your favorite tobacconist. Ask for it by name, Come into the humidor, walk into those big humidors they got in New York City. They let you go in there, they're not too stuck up, they're not too snobby. They let you enjoy the whole aroma, the humidity, the humidity of these, these little special places tucked in the corner of these rather smallish tobacco stores. Most of your Manhattan stores have a small footprint, footprint to them, small, small square footage, uh, oh, the smoke is delightful, just blowing out that smoke, realizing that I'm just sitting back with a beautiful church hill right now, it's our featured, as I mentioned, it's our, without getting too repetitive, it's our featured cigar size. We also feature the Robusto. We also feature the Panatella. We also feature the Pyramid. It's got a little point to it with a little tip of tobacco, about a quarter inch patch that wraps around the very tip. Of course, you cut that off at the quarter inch mark. And you got a perfect quarter inch hole. Quarter inch gets you a quarter inch. It's very enjoyable. guy was here with me. I'm commandeering the studio right now. I'm in front of the mic. Where else would I be? If you're hearing me, you must be in front of the mic. Right, Buckles? Mark's here. Mark's pulling in a late one. It's a nighttime, uh, nighttime show we're doing just to come in. I was so excited to talk about my Brannigan X that I had to have Mark fire up the studio, get everything, all the switches on, all the lights and bells and whistles to bring you just the best, the best that a cigar can be. Brannigan X, look for that. Brannigan, I'll even spell the name again. B-R-A-N-I-G-A-N and X. You'll see the big X like dish soap, like old Western dish soap, brand X. Like the, the generic, but it's not, it's, this is far from a generic smoke. This is the smoke 
of all smokes. We've tested it. We've tasted it. We've had taste panels. Compare it to other cigars. Before we released it, we made sure it was on board with what our philosophy was all about. What is our philosophy? As I said before, it's a flavor of the Old West, and it is a full-flavored cigar. This is what you would call a full-flavored cigar, but it's mild. These are mild cigars. They're not going to be harsh. That's the last thing they're going to be on your palate. They're going to be mild, a mild smoke, and the smoke is going to be billowy. Milky. It's not going to be hot. You're not going to have a hot smoke. You're going to have a cool smoke. It's the most controlled cigar I've ever smoked. That should be a description in Cigar Aficionado magazine or any of the comparative reviews of cigars. We earned a 95 rating. Churchill, we earned a 94 on our Robusto, and we earned a 97 on our Panatella. How's that for a ranking? 100 is the best, and very rarely do they pass out 100. I've never seen in my subscription to, which comes to my door every month, Cigar Aficionado, a wide format magazine with glossy, beautiful ads, Fuente, and uh, Ebo, all the big brands are there. We're a smallish brand, we're small. We're not even smallish, we're small. We're what you call a boutique brand. And we're reaching out through retailers on a retailer by retailer basis. We're taking it one step at a time. And guy, I smell your, oh, I smell right through my cigar smoke. That's a little mild, the cigar, this beautiful Brannigan X. Churchill is, I could smell your stew cooking in the kitchen two rooms away. I can't believe it, Guy, how great your smoke is. Guy had to leave just momentarily. Uh, he um, had to go out. He's meeting with his friend Gary across the street. Gary was raking leaves earlier. It's too dark now to rake leaves. Can't really see what you're doing. But he wanted to talk and see how he made out. Had a little episode in the next door neighbor next to Gary. Uh, they left for Africa. They're new neighbors that just moved in. Beautiful family. Wonderful, wonderful son. He was so polite. When I put my peace sign out to just say hi from about a 20 feet distance, he smiled in the most beautiful smile that only God's creatures can emit. And, uh, He's a young man, about a 14-year-old. Looks like the best kid you'd want to have, bring it up. But they left, they left for Africa. They're away, they're gonna be back next week. And they had a little episode with one of, the, one of the relatives pulling in with a car. He came into the garage a little too tight and ripped off, uh, well, turned up the, the side mirror. Uh, Luckily, it wasn't any more damage. wasn't much damage to the garage at all. A couple of little scuff marks, but the, the mirror is, is sort of gone. It's not demolished, but it's a little wrecked. It's wrecked off its bracket. And uh, we 
hoping that that gets all resolved. I hope that he doesn't get in trouble. I hope no one gets in trouble. I'm a peace-loving man. I don't want to see anybody really get in trouble. So I want to thank you for listening to this segment. Let me carry on about my Brannigan X again. I've mentioned my Brannigan X. I get excited about my cigar line. It's mine. It's Buckles Brannigan coming to you from Pawtucket. segment I want to talk about my trees again. I love trees. I've done several podcast segments dedicated to arboreal wonders. Um, I have a looming tree limb that comes towards my house and any great windstorm can snap that at its weakest point, I kind of got it pinpointed to the micron level where that limb's going to break predictably. I've done several models. I've ran several models, as they say, in my head. Not a pretty sight. It would basically clip off the front part of my house, the front part of my roof at least possibly breaking the very front windows I look out at every morning ruminations in the studio here. And uh, even in light windstorms, windstorms with maybe gusts of uh, 30 miles an hour, I see my, my limbs swaying back and forth um, in a controlled fashion, not uncontrollably, but it's still a little disconcerting still a little disconcerting. I'm hoping that that limb stays where it is. I like the fact that it's shedding leaves. Um, I love fall. My tree is about 60 to 70% clear of leaves right now at this point in November. It's going to be down to one leaf by the time December rolls around and the first snows hit our... I know we had a snow in October that was an anomaly. anomaly. Um, But uh, by December 1, I think we're going to be down to just a few leaves on the trees. Um, And I like the fact that that branch doesn't have to hold up as much weight as uh, as it does right now. Um, then we're going to have to bring out the whole team the whole chainsaw team and clear out oh I'm going to say about a 30 foot piece of limb but it'll probably break off at around the 20 foot to 25 foot mark where I see the bend in the elbow who knows where that's going to break who knows where it's going to break guy what are you talking about trees for what are you talking about your trees for your particular trees in particular well because even with that threat that looming threat of a breakage in my limb the 
could do potential damage to my to my north, my south west portion of my house being in my front yard about uh, 25 feet away from my window even with that threat they are still beautiful things to behold aren't they? They're tall, they're graceful, they're quiet, they're in the foreground and the background at the same time, they're still, yet they're moving in a, in a magical way, in a Merlin kind of way, they accompany you on hikes, they shade you, they shelter you, they provide the canopy of life life and limb pun was intended and right now with oh about 30% of the leaves off the trees maybe 40 maybe even 50% my across the street neighbor has a lot of leaves on, on their tree and I still have quite a bit on mine that in a couple of weeks it's going to have a whole different look it's going to have a grayish bark is going to all of a sudden magically turn a grayish look a grayish look depending on the light we're going to go into a wintry mode we're going to have brilliant winter days we're going to have cloudy days we're going to have cold days we're going to have mild days we're going to have Indian summers we're going to have Rhode Island winters um, nothing as sad as a bare landscape have to be the most sort of modern German thinking, you know, modernist to appreciate a bare, let's say, pebble, pebble paved courtyard, which has a stark beauty of itself. I think that's where sculpture comes out from. Sculpture is our own way of building a tree in a way we put something there it's there trees are there they're just there so I like to talk about trees and um, I've got a few of them around the house but that front tree is scaring the bajikas out of me when that windstorm starts swaying that really long limb it sways slower than the pace of the wind, but it's nonetheless apparent. I, I pick a point on my window mullion and see the sway run back and forth a half an inch, an inch, even a quarter of an inch. And it's, uh, as I said, it's disheartening. Disconcerting, I think, is the word I used previously. Uh, I've got some holes in my trees where squirrels go in and out of. Um, insects are probably making a home in there. They're probably dry rotting the tree from the inside out. It's an old tree. These trees are old. They're about 100 years old. They were put in in the 20s when the neighborhood was starting to have build up a halfway, halfway to critical mass. 
they're just maybe a third of the houses or even a quarter of the houses uh, were only there then. And um, they're tree-lined, parallel to the roads, parallel to Hunts Avenue here in Pawtucket. And they were small saplings, I'm sure, when they were put in. Little mini versions of what they are today. I've got about uh, half a tree left um, after all is said and done and all the past damages and past windstorms and hurricanes and tropical storms that have roared through here over the past, oh, 15, 20 years, the tree has lost about half its major limbs, maybe even more, maybe even more than that. So it's, it's the main feature outside of the sky when I look out my studio window. And my center window frames my front tree beautifully. And I only have the one front tree. We used to have two. Um, when my mom had the house back in the day, I think it was probably um, maybe 08. She had it taken down because she was afraid that the tree or the limb, one of the limbs would fall on a neighbor's car in the adjacent driveway. And she didn't want to have insurance issues, um, didn't want to get sued. And very smart. My mom was pretty sharp, very sharp. Tree was taken down at that corner of the yard, the extreme corner by the walkway. And so I don't have that tree here as a result. And it's just the one tree. It's just the one tree. My cat Lulu and Kane, to a lesser degree, likes to look out the front window and watch all these leaves fall. Um, you know, they were falling. I, I did a measurement. I said, I'm going to say, I'm going to determine how many leaves fall in a minute time. And I came to the conclusion at this pace, and I had to do a running comparison. I had to do it over several minute intervals um, to then get an average, as a mathematician would do, a statistician. And I figured 20, 20 leaves fall in a minute, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it may be a lot. Um, Norway black maple, the black black maple trees, and the leaves are beautifully colored. Some of them smallish leaves, some of them really large. There's a leaf falling right now in front of me as I speak. Um, the pace would ebb and slow over different minute measurements. And I noticed when I was looking out arbitrarily after I had done my measurements that uh, a whole, whole swarm, a shitload of trees, a shitload of leaves, basically, fell at one instant as if on cue from the Almighty. And 
I determined, boy, that looked like about 50 leaves there. So that blew my whole measurement, my whole experiment out the water. And I had to recalibrate. And I came to the conclusion that, well, maybe it's more like 30 or 35 leaves a minute. Now, that was only that one leaf. I haven't seen one fall since. So there was a, uh, a skew over to maybe 10 leaves a minute, maybe even just five leaves for a minute. What's the significance of this? Nothing really, but I like to, I like to just do these little thought experiments. It passes the time. It's an exercise of the mind. It's a foray into nature. It's an excuse to and, well, just observe. It's an excuse to observe. And um, I am a nature lover. I think all of us are nature lovers, aren't we? I don't know of anybody who's against nature. Um, We all want to see our animals doing well, not just our house animals, but outside of our home. We want to see the rainforest survive. We want to recycle. We want to keep the sustainability of the planet in a balance. We like balance. We don't like imbalance. I don't know of anybody who likes imbalance. Unless you're an artist and you want that kind of composition in your works. Whatever works they might be in whatever medium. So trees, life, love, nature, God, whatever you want to extrapolate from it, whatever you want to word associate it with for your mind exercise again, for your passing of time. Um, The tree is an almighty structure. It's part of our lives. And it's a reason doing a segment on a podcast. We have a choice of three time worlds, the future, the present, and the past. The future is, when you produce a podcast at least, try to convey information. If you do a futuristic podcast, it might be based on science fiction, it might be a piece of fiction, it might be a fantasy, but if you try to be, try to look into the future, try to predict the future, try to create a, a landscape of the future, a panoply or a play of the future, a drama based on factual future, it's going to be based on conjecture, because that's all we can go by, right? We may know for certainty what's going to happen to the future with certain components, maybe politically, maybe uh, 
where we are spiritually, developmentally, If we could look into the far future, how we might look physically. Because we are evolving creatures. So future is a whole different ball of wax. A whole different animal. Than present time and past. Because we have the benefit of knowing what's occurring in real time. As life goes by. As we talk on our podcast, or as we express to other folks, and, we, and certainly the past, we can draw upon our experiences and trust our experiences and realize our experience is a fact and we can convey them as such. So future, present, past. Whatever order you want to put it in. Science fiction based in the future. Science fact based in the present and the past. But with science fiction, it's fantasy. It's conjecture. It's how we disseminate or how we convey the future, what style we use, what devices we use, the language that we use, the format that we use. I like the podcasting format. concrete format and it works in all three mediums but again the future is about conveyance of its conjecture it's what we believe the future is going to look like and be and how we're going to experience it the future is the future it's a good word isn't it future it really conveys future really conveys what will be. The past is easy. We don't get hung up in detail, typically. No one's going to argue with us if we have our details wrong, because it's our past, our experience, our perspective our point of view. No one's going to get into a pissing match with you over it. Certainly not. No one can argue with it. They have their own past. Unless someone was right there with you at the time and said otherwise as to your details. Now, past paints a picture of something that was distant recent far distant 
mid-range, distant. So when I think of podcasts, I think of what can I talk about the future? What can we anticipate as a society or what can I anticipate as a personal, as a person? That's how I look at the future. I don't, I don't do fantasy. That's a whole other world. It'd be cool. It'd be cool to think of all the inventions of man that would be there in place at the time. Let's say in the year 3000. Let's say in the year 2150. Let's say in the year 2550. Well, let's go on even beyond that to the hyper future. To the hyper future. Did I just coin a new word? It would be one word, hyper future. It wouldn't be hyphenated, it wouldn't be separated into two words. Hyperfuture, that might be the title of a new book. It may make it to the number one spot on Amazon's book list. Or the New York Times bestseller list. Could, it could do it. It could do it. My podcast is about the future. It might be an interesting thing. And I might want to reconsider it. I don't have any authority. I do have authority over my past and my present. Because only I can argue with myself on what I'm experiencing in the present or what I have experienced in history. In history. Am I a history buff? Maybe in my own world I am. Maybe from my own perspective I am. Although I know that I'm a history buff in general. I like anything history. Rhode Island history. U.S. history. World history. I did good in history class in school. I can tell you that. I wasn't the top of the class. but I was definitely in the solid upper mid-range. And um, I can tell you I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the perspective of it all. tried to come up with an idea for this segment and I settled on future past and present or future present and past in that order I um, before I came up with that idea before I thought of well in my intentions to come up with something that was all-encompassing that was the best idea I could come up with at the time after I had exhausted other ideas that I had done before in previous podcasts I didn't want to go back there again I didn't want to do another dead one right now I'm not ready to do another Grateful Dead it's hard I can't believe I'm saying that because I always have something to say about the Grateful Dead Again, from where I'm sitting or lying down here on the Studebaker in my studio in Pawtucket. I didn't want to do another morning rumination. I had just done one and 
I had done one about a grayish day start. I've done many grayish day starts that always seem to, 90% of the time, burn off into a beautiful day. I didn't want to, well, it's hard to say this too. It's about as hard as the Grateful Dead or maybe more. I didn't want to talk about my kitties, my cats. I didn't want to go there. I just said, I, I, I thought I filled you guys enough right now based on the last several podcasts. Although I always bring up my pod, always bring up my cats in my podcast like I'm doing today in this podcast. This is like a house of mirrors. I didn't want to do another talk about Rick, school, college, life, my early career. I didn't want to talk about my health, my general health, although that always seems to be an appropriate thing to talk about, and that's present mode. I wasn't thinking in the future mode on, on this, by the way. When I was trying to come up with ideas. I was drawing upon what I had already done. Buckles. I didn't want to bring Buckles back out. I didn't want to have him come to the studio. I didn't want to have him staying in South Fork. I didn't want to have him in New York City or in Birmingham, England. Um, I have kept him in the drawer, figuratively and literally. For this instance, for this instant, for this, at least this segment, I break my podcast up into multiple segments, as you know. Oh, I'm taking a sip of my coffee. Now, there's a present moment, taking a sip of your coffee, isn't it? Whatever coffee you brew, however it tastes, it usually comes out good with me if I Yet to make a bad cup of coffee, by the way. My brother Pierre tells me I make the best coffee around. Janet, too. They have trouble. It seems like they're on a molecular... They're breaking it down on a molecular level. Their taste buds are very discerning with coffee. They're very fussy. And they settled on... Ta-da! The winner is Starbucks Verona. Seems to be the coffee uh, that we're settling on here. I bought a couple bags in a row. When I buy coffee two, three, four times in a row off the shelves of Stop and Shop, I know I'm on a groove coffee-wise, folks. Um, Didn't tell you I have my coffee. I take it with a half and half and no sugar. Half and half and no sugar. That's how I drink my coffee. Will I drink it black? Yes, only out of necessity. When I run out of half and half and can't make it to the store, I will have coffee black. And I'll realize it tastes pretty damn good. The the, the half and half component is an add-on rather than an enhancement. But then when I get back to my half and half uh, in the coffee, I uh, realize that it's a good beverage. It's a decent beverage. It's a very good beverage, in fact, the best way I could have it. I don't have sugar. I think sugar doesn't necessarily contaminate the coffee, but it alters the taste of the coffee so much that the coffee is mixed up in the process, and you don't really get the full coffee aftertaste and flavor. 
you're left with a uh, basic sugar aftertaste, which for some, that might be fine. Certainly don't put any, um, you know, calorie, lower calorie sugar in there or, you know, like your sugar substitute. I don't do that. Not just for the chemical reason, but obviously for the taste reason. Obviously for the taste reason. But getting back to future, present and past, uh, and trying to come up with ideas for podcasts and eschewing the future aspect, um, because I'm not an authority in that, and I'm I'm an authoritarian when it comes to my own experiences in present and my own experiences in the past and that no one can argue with me, and that I can make a solid, truthful analysis, um, not w- with, with details notwithstanding, especially, uh, especially in the past. The present is going to be word association. It's going to be, of course, extemporaneous, as will my past uh, podcasts, my past dwelling podcasts. Uh, my present experience using the morning ruminations as an example no one's going to argue with me on my analysis on what I'm feeling at the time no one can get inside my my head my body and I do try to do my podcast from the whole of my existence my body my, my temporal existence my mindset my coming off of my dreams the night before I know when I come off a dream I still am almost dreaming in my head when I wake up in my different times of the morning when I do wake up. And if you get a full sleep in, you don't really remember your dreams typically. For some, for, for some, for some of us, only rarely if our REM sleep happened to come a little later. But it's pretty typical. It's pretty predictable that your REM sleep is going to be ending a couple hours before you wake up. It's going to be coming back to a mid-range for you so that you can get into the mode of wake up, your mind can, subconsciously, chemically, mechanically, wiring-wise, all that fun stuff. So you just don't remember, but when you wake up multiple times in the morning, in the early mornings like I do, you know, 1.30, 3, 4 o'clock, then getting up in the morning... You do remember your dreams when you do get into a dream mode. Um, about two-thirds of the time I won't dream on those hour-and-a-half, two-hour intervals of my actual sleep. Uh, part of that time, of course, is waiting to fall asleep. Not necessarily. Not, not consciously waiting to fall asleep, but letting your body just relax and go into a sleep mode. It's actually the most satisfying part of sleep. You know, when you sleep, you don't, unless you're dreaming and have an incredible vivid dream that's really a cool dream. And I have a lot of cool dreams. I have a lot of good dreams that don't upset me when I wake up. I, I'm more amazed at, at the creativity of the, of the chemical mind and the processes. I'm amazed at the vividness. I'm amazed at the pictures that I create. I'm amazed at the knowledge that I know in a dream that I don't know consciously. My subconscious knowledge is is far outstrips my conscious knowledge. It's just amazing how uncanny it is. How organic. Everything is organic in my processes that I've related. 
and I can extrapolate that to you. Um, I'm sure that you also have that organic thing going on in your head. But getting back to the past um, and the present and those two modes and trying to come up with ideas, you know, um, not wanting to do another uh, talk about uh, Christmas, the holidays, my experiences there. And as far as present, not talking, not wanting to talk about it again, maybe um, making lists to do housework, which I did a podcast, a couple of podcasts ago. You might want to check that out to get maybe a little bit of inspiration to do things around your house. Um, I didn't want to do things that were house-centric, which I tend to do. I tend to do things around my immediate surroundings. Um... If I get beyond a certain 20-foot range and out, out look out to the outside, I uh, it's based on present time conjecture. I don't know what I don't know what really is happening out there. I don't have a factual base for what's really happening out there. If I hear sirens in the distance, I know there's some kind of upset in the molecular structure out there. I know that there's. Maybe some person in need. It's a response. I can I can kind of guess at certain storylines based based on that knowledge of my hearing it. But other than that, it's a still day out there, and I don't really know what's going on. I don't really know what's going on. So I hope you took away something from the future present and past and we're able to maybe examine yourself and see yourself in all of those modes of time because time time moves on you guys have a great day out there today it's starting off pretty gray i'm not going to do a morning ruminations except to tell you that as i look out my front studio windows as i lie down here on the studebaker with my console in front of me looking at it at a a 10 percent angle pressing buttons willy-nilly no i don't do that mark does that and i can see mark as i look over the corner of my eye I'm looking at a different, quite different angle. Um, he's actually more to a uh, about a 40 degree angle. He's about nine o'clock in the corner of my eye. Um, I, uh, as I look out, I don't want to get into morning ruminations, but I want to just enough to tell you that the day's starting off gray. But don't be discouraged. If your day is starting off when you listen to this podcast in sometime in the future, let's talk about the future again, the future of my podcast, where it's going to be in the year 2000 and the year 2025, it'll be still available on a queue. 
way down on the list, way down on the list. Hopefully by then I've done many more podcasts. I hope I don't run. I hope I never run out of ideas. When I, I'll tell you the day I run out of ideas, folks, uh, will be the end of my podcast as we know it. And uh, it'll be a, a sad day for me. It'll be a sad day for me. Uh, maybe not for you. You might be relieved. Um, you probably will be relieved. But um, but I do do these podcasts for you as well as me. I do them for both of us. But based on that, uh, let's hope that you don't run out of ideas as you go about your day today. I hope you have a productive day. Um, I hope that it's not a day wasted. I hope it's not a mediocre day. I hope it's an artistic day. I hope it's a focused day. And I hope it's a day that goes by at a good pace, but not too fast. I hope you can draw on experiences throughout your day, have perspective, uh, your interpersonal relationships, I hope they can be the best that they've ever been, uh, better than any other day past. Speaking of past, I, um, I hope you can do things in an effortless fashion. I hope that things don't frustrate you. I hope you don't get bogged down. I hope your morning commute goes really well, whether you're taking the bus, the train, the subway, your car, walking, biking, motor biking, pedal biking, uh, rimshaw, ride, horseback, whatever, whatever conveyance, your legs, otherwise, animal, mineral, that you uh, move on, you move on. Maybe you're taking Elon Elon Musk's Hyperloop today. Maybe you're going at 900 miles an hour and saying to yourself, the future is good, the future is good, speaking of the future again. I hope you can live in the present. I hope you can be yourself but not be yourself. What is our set point of being ourselves? We want to always have ideas, and we want to we we act out our life. We don't. We're not really. We're not really. Uh, we're not ever really being ourselves. If we were, we would be very crude. We'd be very animalistic. We're more than ourselves. Be more than yourselves out there, folks. Maybe that's how I can distill my feelings on that subject. Try to see beauty in life today as you go about your day. Try to see beauty in, in, in the simplest and in the least likely things that you notice. Try to enjoy food. Try to enjoy company. Try to get a laugh. Try to um, have some physicality in your life. Try to get out on the bike. Try to go for a walk actually do those two things and more um, maybe you're fixing your house maybe you're uh, climbing a mountain whatever your endeavor make it the best day that you possibly can be and then every day will get even better and better and then when you look back 
you look back on the past and your life, you can say that the, the life you're living right now is the time that is most valuable and it's the best time that you could ever, could ever be.